Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, psychology grad student, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I provide a space for women to share their stories. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for tuning in with me today and enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Janet. So after five decades of simply existing, Janet finally found her purpose in life around proactive mental health care and helping people understand how they can take care of themselves before they break becoming truly resilient, not just emotional Sherpas. She found this out after breaking herself and using research to dig herself out of a dark hole. I can, I can very much relate to that. Uh, So now she wants to inspire other women and share the message with as many people as possible, especially women who tend to take on more emotional baggage, not just for themselves, but for the others as well. When she is not talking about being an emotional Sherpa, she spends her time with her four kids and fluffy puppy. I have four kids too. Um, Do you? Yeah. How old are they? Uh, 20. And she just got married. So that... Yeah. Congratulations. That's exciting. It makes you feel really old. Uh, So 20, (laughs) almost 14, like by the time people hear this, she'll be 14 and twins who will be 12 when people hear this. So yeah. Okay. So I have a 16, a 15 and twins that are 13. Oh my gosh. Look at that. (laughs) (laughs) It's like you go for one and you get two. It's like a two for one special there. It's the bonus round. Exactly. (laughs) I was like, I told my spouse because we got married and I had the two older girls and he was like, I would really like some biological children. He's like, if you don't want to, that's fine. I'm perfectly fine with that. Super sweet. He's just a wonderful human being. And I was like, we could try for one. Sure. Just one. And then you get two. And I was like, there you go. (laughs) I'm done. (laughs) Yeah. I always love it. And people are like, well, did you plan that? I'm like, you don't plan twins. I wish I could, but that's not how that happens. No, if you do IVF, then you probably have like a higher chance of knowing you're going to get multiples. Right. But even then it's like, it's still whatever your body decides to do. If it keeps them, if it lets them go, you know, you never know. Are yours fraternal or identical? They're fraternal. How about you? Mine are fraternal as well. And it runs in my family. So fraternal is, okay, I say fraternal is the one that like genetically that you can pass down. And people are like, well, did you expect it? I'm like, I don't know that you can ever really expect it. Like I knew it was a possibility, but I never really thought it would happen. And then it did. And I will say I love having twins, especially as the last ones. It has been so much work. I mean, not now. They're older, right? They're like self-sufficient. But when they were babies, holy moly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, when they were babies, it was a lot. But now, like nobody's ever by themselves, right? And you know, I'll never have. I was the youngest in my family, and so I had that year where it was just me with oh, my yeah. parents. I had two. Out. Okay, and you're like, oh well, this is fun, and I'll never have that. Like none of my kids will ever have to be here by themselves. They'll always have somebody else. I was the oldest, so when I was little, I had two years without my sister. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, my oldest, ah, I say my oldest, he's like, yeah, 17 months. That's all I got. Only 17. I'm like, I know. 
I know, but it yeah. was a good 17 months. Enjoy the Ex 17 months. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, I agree that the twins will never be by themselves. And I love, I, I, like I said, my sister and I were really close in age. So it was really nice to like be able to have a sibling that you could play with. Right. And so the twins, the older girls are, are a little bit older than them. I mean, my oldest is way older than them. Uh, so having them together is, it's really good to have like a friend, even though they fight a lot. <laughs> yes. They're still siblings. I, everyone, still everyone's like, do they get along? I'm like, they'd get along. Like they're really good friends, but they're still siblings. So they still every once in a while try to kill each other. So, you know, yeah, my uh, the oldest twin by three minutes. She knows this. Um, oh, yes. Not because we made it a big deal, but because they made it a big deal when they wanted to know who's older. Uh, she is very protective of her brother. So like she can pick on him and she can beat up on him. But if anybody else does, oh, no, step back because. She's coming for you. <laughs> I love that. That twin bond is amazing. Yeah, mine, they're fraternal and they are like night and day in looks. One of them, she's taller than I am. She's 5'8". And wow. the other one is 5'2". And the 5'2 has like super, super straight hair. And the oh, <clears throat> the taller one has hair like mine, which is just, you know, a little bit darker blonde, but kind of wavy. And so they look absolutely nothing like, but it's this tiny one that's two minutes older. Yeah, and my so tiny love, one is older too. <laughs> and so they love to pose the question to people, who do you think's older? And I'm like, they're setting you up. How do you people not recognize this? Because they always point to the tall one and they're like, oh, well, clearly it's her. And they're like, no, it's not. I'm like, I can't believe people fall for that every single time. Like they're leading you on. Can't you create like. Yeah. figure that one out but mine yeah. looks so different too uh they're boy girl and um my son has blonde hair and he's probably like four or five inches taller than a sister and she's just this tiny petite little person she has a whole lot of personality in that tiny body just a whole lot of personality up in there Mine as well. I will say that's almost exactly what mine is. I mean, yeah, we have lots of stories around her and growing up. And we used to say, um, how do you spell grumpy? K-A-T-E-I-N-T-H-E-M-O-R-N-I-N-G. Kate in the morning. Grumpy. <laughs> she, yeah. If she doesn't get food in her, I mean, she's small, but man, that girl can eat. And Ooh, mine too. Yeah. I'm jealous. I'm like, oh, I wish I could eat like that. I never had that metabolism. Right. Um, so a quick thing before we get started, I want to put a trigger warning. We may talk about sexual assault. Um, if anybody's and, and of course, mental health. So that can lead anywhere. Um, if anybody's not comfortable, there's last I checked, there's 380 some episodes. So like there's plenty to go back and listen to. <laughs> I just like, wow, I've been doing this a long time. I wow, think my new that's goal amazing. is, yeah, I've, we're in our seventh season. I say we, as if there are I have other people, it's just me. <laughs> Sometimes I'm, I talk to myself. We have a good conversation. We have good conversations. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm in my seventh season and my, I have just changed my goal. I'm like, I think I'm just going to stick to 10, like at least 10. I, I, why not? It's three more years. Just sure. Let's do this. <laughs> uh, 
Well, I say, um, I've looked at so many of your episodes and you've met so many interesting and unique individuals. I'm fascinated yes. by it. It's um, that's my favorite part is being able to meet such amazing humans I would have never met in my entire life if I was just going about life normally. I don't know how all of you find me, but I thoroughly enjoy like all the interviewing. I just hate like the other stuff, like the editing and the posting and responding to emails. You went through some stuff that led to you struggling with mental health. Like, I'm not Mm going to say you had a mental health crisis because I wasn't there. Maybe you'll say that you had one. Um, I know I had one in 2019. It was, I should have, I honestly should have been hospitalized. We were talking about this, but my spouse at the time was in the Navy. And so he was out to sea. How do you, what do you do with four kids if you're going to go stay in a mental hospital and your spouse isn't around? So I never went, but I probably should have. But you went through some stuff that led you to have some some mental health struggles. Can you start us out wherever you think is important? Sure. Um, So I'll tell kind of what led it up to it and um, then talk about kind of where it took me. So a few years ago, I found myself in kind of what I think of as my second stage of my adult life. So my first stage was what most everybody does. They finish their education and they get a real job. Um, So, you know, it's, I worked little jobs before then, but it was my first real job. I got to, you know, have a real interview and all of that. Um, And there's actually a funny story around that interview. Uh, I was in graduate school and this woman said, my company has this new role. I think you would be perfect for it. I didn't know the role. I didn't know anything about it, but I had never had a real interview before. So I thought, oh, I'm just going to take the interview because then I'll learn how to have an interview. Yeah. And, and then I got the job (laughs) and I was like, oh crap. Okay. So now I have to learn what this is. And it was called category management. I had never heard of it before. I'm like, oh, okay. So basically what my job was and what my career became in that first stage was working with retailers and apparel manufacturers on certain categories and figuring out the best way to manage them, hence category management. And the way I tell it is I help them figure out how much do you need? Like how much variety do you need? How much, um, like, when should you promote it? When shouldn't you promote it? How should you market it? Those types of things. But most of it was figuring out how much do you need to offer? Because a lot of times it's a lot less than what they thought they needed. Gotcha. Um, So I did that. I ended up becoming a management consultant, teaching people how to do this. And I lived and I worked all over the world. I loved doing it. Wow. But the thing that I really loved about it was um, helping people make change successfully. So I would go in, we'd come up with this new process and this approach of how to do category management. But in essence, what it required was somebody to change what they had already done or had always been doing. And I'm sure you know, people love change, right? (laughs) Oh, yes. Yes. Love it. Right? (laughs) They hated it. And unless I focused on figuring out for them, like what, the benefit was for them to make this change, chances are they would do it while I was basically there with them, but then they'd revert back to their old way. Of course. So in order to make my project successful, I had to focus on what's called change management, which is just helping people make the change successfully and really adopt it. 
And then in my 30s, I met somebody actually in Japan and we got married and then we had those four kids in three years and three months. And that's oh my what, gosh. Yeah. Um, it was the singles and then the twin that allowed that three years, three months to happen, but it was a lot. Yeah. And it propelled me into that second phase that I mentioned, which was I became a stay-at-home parent. Mm, I feel you. I was and, for a long time as well. Yeah. And I loved it. And I put, you know, all that energy that I had put into my corporate career, I put into my kids and my community. And I became really involved and I was a go-to person, you know, the person like, oh, you need something to happen, call Janet, mm -hmm. she'll, you know, make it happen. And then one day I found out that my husband was having an affair. Oh my gosh. And he wanted a divorce. Mm. And I broke. I completely shattered. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I lost 40 pounds in five weeks. Wow. Um, I'm not a big person. I'm only five, six, and I was under a hundred pounds. And obviously I could not go on like that. To your point, your husband was away in the Navy. You had four kids. You still had to keep functioning for them. And I had to keep functioning for my kids. But inside I was like, I don't know how to keep going. I really don't know. And the hardest thing for me was I'm like, why? What's wrong with me? Because I had <laughs> helped make change in massive corporations and in community things. And like, I was able to manage through all this stuff, but somehow I couldn't take this. Right. And I'm sure, you know, your listeners know divorce and infidelity is not uncommon. In Correct. fact, a lot of people listening to this have probably found themselves on one side or the other of that coin. And so it's not like I was the only person that this had ever happened to. And I literally am like, what in the world is wrong with me? Why can't I figure this out? And so that's when I started researching. And so I always thought I was resilient. And I'm like, clearly I'm not resilient. So what's my problem? So I started researching what resilience is. And that's when I ended up coming across this concept of the difference between being really resilient and actually being an emotional Sherpa. Okay. So when... I I went through a lot of different steps to get to this point. So I went to the doctor, I did therapy, I did meditation, yoga, all of those things, and they all helped, but it just wasn't quite enough until I came across this concept. So to me, what resiliency is, um, and actually this is based on the American Psychological Association's definition, so I feel like I have some good backing right. behind that. I didn't make it up. Um, it talks about... Um, basically it's flexibility and adapting to things that come at you, external events that impact you. And what I realized I had been doing as I was going through life was as things came at me, I was flexing. And like when the event went off, I stayed bent. I never returned to my original shape. And that's what actual resilience is, is when you bend then when the event's gone, you return to your original shape. And I wasn't. I was bending because things were coming at me so fast. I never had the chance. I never had the time to actually spend time standing back up. And so what I realized I was becoming was this emotional Sherpa that just carried this stuff on my back. Oh, and okay. 
I was like wondering what emotional Sherpa was. (laughs) Yes. So it's one of those that you find as you're going through life, like you can push through and keep pushing and pushing and pushing, but instead of recovering and standing up and setting that down, you just hold on to it and you can keep going for a really long time. For me, it was almost 50 years. And then it was that last event. It wasn't the event itself. It was that I couldn't take another thing. And that's Mm -hmm. when I broke. And I realized, you know what? It wasn't that one thing. It wasn't the fact that it was, you know, divorce and infidelity. And that was for some reason overwhelming to me. It was my entire life that had built Mm -hmm. up until that point. And that I really needed to do something about everything that I was carrying. Yeah. So like pro- you weren't processing through it and and letting it go. You were just allowing, you were just kind of in a way, I, it sounds like you were kind of ignoring it. You were just like, all right, I'm just going to push through. I'm going to ignore this. And it just accumulated and built up. I can, I can relate to that. Um, I do have a mental illness. I have bipolar disorder, but um, when I was in my early adulthood, I just, I just lost it. Like I'd had so much trauma, so much things that had happened. And like you said, just push through, push through, push through. And then when I'm in my twenties, finding myself as a single mom, it was just too much. I ended up flunking out of school because like it, it was all just too much. And I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't keep doing it. So I can completely relate to what you're talking about. Yeah. So I pushed through and I'm numbed which Mm -hmm. is what a lot of people that have trauma in their lives, I numbed, I use alcohol to numb, and then I used work. So I literally, I would work 80 plus hours a week because I didn't want to deal with what I was dealing with. And then, you know, when I got to my kids and a stay-at-home parent, I continued to focus on anything external Mm -hmm. as opposed to anything internal. And the funny part is that I did therapy and I did yoga and I meditated and everyone's like, oh. I checked every box that you're supposed to do. Same Right. And you're like, until you really actually sit down and really deal with it, you're never going to really let that go. And yeah. I will say there was one part of my research that helped me understand how for me and how for a lot of people Like the most important part is something that we didn't know until really the last 20 years. And it's talking about how there is a mind-body connection for Mm -hmm. all emotions and that we have a physical reaction to every single emotion. But when we're young, we learn to suppress the negative ones. Yeah. So if you think about like when you're a little kid and you get mad and you're like, and you stomp your feet and you slam the doors, what does your mom say to you? At least mine, you get what you get and you don't get upset. Or I was talking with a woman the other day about this and helping her with some stuff. And she's like, oh, no, no, my mom actually would send me to my room and tell me, don't come out until you can be nice. And so we learn to be accepted. We have to contain that reaction, that very natural reaction. And we're never taught that you need to actually physically express those things for your mind to release it. And I'll be honest, I had never heard of this until I started doing my research. And after coming across, you know, all of those things, there's medication that can help, therapy can help. 
but it was this last thing of you have to reconnect your mind and body. And I had broken that connection so severely Mm -hmm. because I was a childhood sexual abuse victim. And the way that I dealt with that was I literally pretended that I wasn't in the room, that my mind was somewhere else. And so because I had broken that so much, and then I started using other things to numb myself so that that trauma would not be relived, um, I had to really reconnect those two things and figure out a way to safely release all of those emotions that had been packed in that emotional Sherpa backpack for decades. And there's now therapies that do it. There's tapping therapy, there's EMDR. There's- oh, I love EMDR. I love it. Oh, EMDR <laughs> is amazing. But to me, that one challenge with all of those things is if you don't have the resources, mm, yep. you might not be able to do that. Yeah. And so what I try and help people understand is there are things you can do outside of that. Now, if you have true PTSD, you should not do things on your own. You do need a professional to help guide you or you're going to trigger and you're going to go spiral and it's not going to be Mm -hmm. helpful. But if you're dealing with stuff that is not full on PTSD, you can learn how to do those physical reaction release in a very safe way. Right. Yeah. It's a privilege that people don't realize is, and I've come to terms with this. I'm privileged to be able to have insurance, good insurance that will cover things and cover therapy. I've come to terms that I might be in therapy forever and it's fine for me. It's just sometimes I'll have depressive episodes or manic episodes and it's good to talk it through with somebody, but like to be able to do EMDR, I completely understand. Not everybody will have access to that. Like you said, because they don't have the insurance or time or, you know, whatever to be able to access it. Although if you can, it is amazing. If you have trauma, it's just, it's fair. I can, I can literally remember memories that used to trigger me so bad. And now there's nothing attached to it. It's amazing. When I tell people about it, I'm like, it's not that you lose the memory. You lose the weight that it has on your emotional mindset. And it is so freeing. Once you do it, it's, to me, it is truly life-changing. I will say, so what I recommend to people that don't have like severe trauma that they have to work through is that as you're going through, and this is even to me for like really little things. So the example I love to give is road rage. Everybody goes out and you drive (laughs) and you get annoyed. They didn't use their blinker. They cut you off. You know, I had one this week. I was, um, actually, I guess it was last week. Um, I was driving to a meeting and my life is scheduled in minutes because I have so many things going on. And so I knew the path that I was going exactly how long it would take. And it was a 40 mile per hour road, two lanes, double yellow, can't pass. And the person in front of me was going 20 miles per hour. Why? Why? Right? And I'm like, I'm not asking you to speed. You do not need to speed, but can we go 40, please? Come on. I'm going to be late because you're like, and I could feel like the tension just piling up inside me. And I'm like, I, in the moment, 
it would not have been safe for me to like ram their car. Like I really want to just like, you I know, know you do, right. Or like when they're, right? when they're right on your bumper, you just want to slam on right. the brakes. But I'm like, I can't afford a new car. <laughs> right. And I'm like, it's not safe for you. It's not safe for me. The police get involved. It's a mess. So I'm like, okay. But when I got to my parking space, I was already late to my meeting. And so for me, I'm like, okay, I put it in gear. And that was my safe time and my safe space. It's what I call my base camps. So okay. like if you were thinking of a Sherpa, going back to tie that in, the Sherpa does this very stressful trip leading an expedition up to the summit of Mount Everest and back down to the base camp where then they set off, they take off all of that extra gear and get paid. We don't have those set base camps. So I'm like, you have to find those set base camps. So for me, in this instance, my base camp was putting my car in park. It's like, okay, now I need to actually just let this go before I go into my meeting or else I'm going to carry that annoyance right. with me into the meeting. And there's a couple of universal things that work for these little stresses. And one is to literally take a big breath in mm -hmm. and then a sharp breath and literally shake your body. But you have to do it while you're rethinking of that event. Oh, so okay. I so I literally would think about that guy driving in front of me 20 miles per hour and I could feel the tension <laughs> build up and then and I can feel it's funny because it actually redoes it every time I do it. And my stomach lets go of its tension and I start laughing because I feel so much better. And then I walked into the meeting feeling ready to engage and happy as opposed to pissed off from this guy that was going slow in front of me. And so I try to get people like, okay, if you can do those little things, that's going to help you out. And then for the big things, you may need to take a different, you know, stance. You may need to, for me, it's boxing. I love to get my stress and um, emotions out through boxing. So I have a punching bag in my basement and I'll find a time to go down there. And um, it used to be I, when I was in therapy, my therapist and I would come up with a phrase and I'm still in therapy, but I don't do it for this anymore. And I would go down to my punching bag and I'd start hitting it and I'd start saying the phrase and I would say it louder and louder and louder that just encapsulated whatever the event was until literally I would fall on the ground in tears and I could feel the weight off of my shoulders and I could, I could then think about the event and deal with it in a way that wasn't triggering to me. But yeah. no matter how much I talked about it, I was never able to get past the emotion that was pent up inside me. And it was because I had blocked it. I had suppressed that physical reaction for so long that it wasn't letting it really get out of my mind until I finally did that. Then it was like, okay, now I can actually move on. Now. Okay. This is a question from one mom to another mom. Have you mm -hmm. ever seen that maybe before you started working on this? Um, did you ever see this affect your affect how you interacted with your kids? Like how, like I see this sometimes with me, I'll get very overwhelmed and uh, overstimulated. And I just want to yell it. I just want to scream. Cause I'm just like, this is so much. And I don't know if you have ever felt that way. Oh my God. All the time. All the time. And I, any mom that I've ever talked to, I'm like, okay, I'll give you the example. For me, my kids won't put away their shoes. Put away, put away your freaking shoes. And like you would yell at them. And you're like, I'm not yelling about the shoes. I'm yelling because I couldn't take another thing. 
Yeah. And so I burst at them. And it was basically like, as if you're thinking about that weight, it got to be so much that I had to throw some of it off. And so the people that I take it out on are the people that we love, the people that we're closest with. But absolutely, I would always have those mo- moments where I'm like, I just can't take anything more. And it would come out at them. And then I'd feel guilty. And I would apologize. And we'd have this talk about, I'm sorry, mom, let too much stuff build up. And then I didn't realize that it didn't need to be that way. Mm-hmm. I really didn't. I had no idea that it didn't need to be that way because I was doing all of the stuff that they say you're supposed to do to help with your mental health. And it was like, nope, I kept packing it in there, kept packing it in there. And I had to have those little moments of relief or release in order to keep going. Now, when I actually recognize that I'm doing this and that things are building up, I'm like, no, you know what? I need to take a minute. I need to go do this set stuff down, whatever it is that I'm carrying, and then come back and engage with them. And I've actually taught all of my kids to do this as well for when those stressful events come at them. And they all have different physical activities that work for them. One of them likes to throw a pillow on the floor. To me, that is so unsatisfactory. (laughs) I can't, I'm like, how does that do anything for you? Right. I'm I'm downstairs like like hitting this punching bag as hard as I freaking can like Argh! and she's like okay I feel better like how literally how does this work but and actually I have a really good friend who is an amazing dancer and she dances it out yeah and like she has these like and I wish I was a good dancer but I'm not and I find that people have their individual expressions, like everybody is different, but, and all four of my kids are very different in what works for them. Yeah. So do you just let them yell at, uh, this is a question because so, one of the things is like, you know, I'm trying not to suppress my daughter's emotions, right? Because that's mm-hmm. something that I was taught, right? You don't do that. And it's really hard to unlearn those things that you learned. Do you just let them scream it out? Like, how do you handle this? So what I try to tell them is you may need to suppress it in the immediate, you know, event, like in the middle of the event, you may need to suppress it because it's not safe for you or for them. Kind of like that road rage incident. I had to keep it in because it wasn't going to be safe for me to express it then. Right. And if you realize you can't engage safely, you need to exit and go let it out so that you can come back and have more of a productive, calm discussion of whatever's going on. So usually I try to say, all right, you know, you're not able to do this in a way that is safe emotionally or physically because Mm -hmm. like, and it kind of depends on their personality, but some of my kids are um, like, if you were to yell at them, it would just make them shut down and make them turtle up. Other ones would fight right back at you. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> so I'm like, all right, if I, if I, you know, somebody's going to yell and somebody's going to turtle, you need to give that person space because they are not able to handle that right now. So I'm like, there may be a time where, yes, you actually do need to suppress it. If you can engage in a conversation and feel that emotion and still have it be productive, great. But as soon as somebody starts having that, you know, fight, flight, fun, or, What's the fourth one? Freeze. Freeze. Thank you. Um, 
<laughs> I, it's okay. A, I'm a, I sometimes I'm a freezer. And so I, oh, yeah. I, I, I yeah. <laughs> oh, I totally, I, I do all of them actually, oddly. I will do all four of them depending on the situation and what it's about. So like with my kids, I'm probably more likely to fight because I'm yeah. protecting them. But if you're coming at me, I'm much more likely to freeze or fawn. Like I'm a big fawner. I will try to make everybody just remind us what fawning is. Okay. Cause I've heard of it and it like it, excuse me, it triggers like this little, it's like an itch in my brain. And I'm like, I kind of remember what this is, but I don't completely. So just explain, cause other people might be having that little, that little itch in their brain too. (laughs) So um, everybody knows fight. You go into an aggressive attack mode. Flight means you just run away entirely. Freeze means you sit there and try to just like make yourself as small as possible. Fawn, think of it like Bambi. You want to make the other people happy. Yes. You will okay. do anything to make them okay, regardless of what it does to you. Okay. And so yep. I have always been that way because I... Like growing up, I was, I always just wanted people to like me Mm -hmm. and I never felt like anybody just liked me for me. So it was like, okay, well, what else can I possibly do that will make you like me? And it's just, it's, it's a very common coping mechanism Mm -hmm. for people pleasers. Yeah. I had a mom who was always critical of me still is. I don't have a relationship with her because of the, because of this and many other reasons, but always critical of me. So I was always trying to make her happy. Like, what can I do to make you happy and not hate me? (laughs) You know? And I I mean, eventually like four years ago, I'm like, there is nothing I can do. And she will just, I told her like, you know, if you get therapy and you work through your own stuff, I will have a relationship with you until then I can't because that was my own boundary because I, I can't Mm -hmm. sit there and let you put me down and, you know, tell me everything I'm doing wrong and everything like that. It's just not good for my mental health and it's not fair to me. So, you know, but that's, I fond a lot with my mom because I really wanted her to like me. And I will tell you, you are an incredibly strong person to have made that choice because the hardest relationship to break for an individual is the relationship with the parent, because we're told, and we are supposed to believe that it's unconditional love. Yep. And it's not always unconditional love. And that is such a hard thing to finally accept that some people were not meant to be parents giving unconditional love. And when it's your parent, it's really hard to not feel that it's your fault. And I'm, yeah. Yeah. My family too has, um, has been really really bad with this except my sister my sister's amazing but like uncles grandparents they can't accept it and they're constantly like you need to have a relationship with your mom you need to have a relationship with your mom and recently my grandmother she passed and she was really sick and everybody's like you need to come visit her I said she every time I visited her has nailed right into me you need to have a relationship with your mom I'm not putting myself in that situation like and and she passed and I don't regret not seeing her, um, which people think I'm heartless. And I'm like, I'm not putting myself in a situation with you people who can't understand this. And so that made it even harder because I want 
I want to be, have a relationship with my mom, but I want a healthy relationship with my mom and nobody seems to get that. So when you also have family on top of it, like you said, it's always like, you have to have this relationship with your family. It's your family. They took care of you. They did these things. It is, it is a difficult thing. I don't know how I would handle it if my sister wasn't supportive because she's like my best friend. If my sister was completely against it, they would, I would be just in just a heap of emotions because she's she's my best friend and I would be so upset but she's very supportive so I'm very thankful for her she has a relationship with her mom because her relationship with our mom is not the same as my relationship with our mom we had two people think it's weird we grew up in the same household but we had two different childhoods like two Mm -hmm. completely different ones and it wasn't until we got older that she she realized she realized that. And she was like, oh, Megan's experiences were not my experiences. And mm-hmm. so it, we as adults had to learn things and, and come to terms with things. So it was interesting. And so thank you for saying that because people don't realize you have to grieve it too. You grieve these relationships you let go. So yes, anyways, go on. <laughs> no, that I mean, honestly, I've had this conversation with a lot of people about that parent relationship and so much of what our baggage is, is around that relationship. And we carry that throughout our entire lives. And, you know, that's every relationship that you have after that parental relationship, by and large, has been shown to be some sort of version of mm-hmm. your parental child relationship. And so not only are you cutting them out, but then you're having to say, okay, well, all of these other relationships that I have set up through my entire life is some version of that. And to get into something healthy means you're probably going to have to let go of other people as well. And there is such a societal norm and expectation that you are going to, you know, accept whatever it is you are given from a birth standpoint it's like, no, I really shouldn't have to. I really shouldn't. And it's okay that that's the case. So I'm, I support you entirely because that is truly, I think, the most difficult relationship to break. So how have you, like, because we're going to have to wrap up the podcast soon. It goes by so quick. I know. It does. You, you look at the clock and you're like, holy crap. It's almost like we've gone almost 45 minutes. What is going on here? Um, what would you say for people who are listening and they can they can relate to your emotional Sherpa and, and they've gone through some really tough stuff and maybe they've seen like, oh, this one thing like broke me. But it, it wasn't that one thing, right? It piles up. Um, what has been most helpful to you? Um, because maybe people are listening and they are just like, I need, I need something. I need something. And and therapy, yes, love therapy, all for mm-hmm. therapy. But we discussed how that may not be the best option or the most um available option to people. What what are some things that have helped you? So the thing I always recommend if you can't or do not want to do therapy, which I get it, like there's a variety of reasons to not. Stigma. Um, Yeah, exactly. Stigma is one of the biggest ones. Um, So I recommend to people because everything, I want people to have a way of doing this without anybody else knowing, Mm -hmm. is to journal. 
And the way that I tell people to journal is to break your life into chunks. So basically get a piece of paper. And if you don't have any other buckets that you can create, simply divide your age by five and use like, say you're 50, you have zero to 10, 10 to 20, 20 to 30 to just put that as a title on the top of that page. Um, If you don't like the divide by five method, I have people that I'm like, okay, well, you could do elementary school, high school, college, post-college, parenthood, whatever it is, but come up with about five buckets. And then on each of those pages, go through and just write those life events that come up both great things and not great things. And just put a list on there. Don't detail it out, but just put a list on there. So you've got kind of like everything that sort of happened in your life. And then start, if you can, with the one you don't want to start with. So as you're looking at that list, there's going to be something on there that you just hate thinking about. And if Mm -hmm. you can, that is the best place to start. But a lot of times you can't, and I get that. So pick something else. But then go through and detail it out. Write what happened. And I, if you actually go to my website, I have writing prompts of things that can help you if you don't know what to write. And I'll link um, that up the, in the show notes for people. Just, just an aside. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, and so like some people are like, well, I don't know what to write. That's okay. I can give you prompts. Totally easy. And I also have people that are like, I don't like to write. Guess what? I bet you can talk. Yes. So use like the voice to text and activate that. Every device, every computer, everything out there has that. So just simply talk and that's fine. Just get it actually on paper or in a document in your device somewhere. Get it out there. And once you can do that, It starts for you the process of saying, okay, well, now I've got it out there. I've released it. And then take that and say, what can I do to physically release this? So if it's stirring up sadness, maybe you sit down and just read that journal entry and cry. Hmm. I had a gentleman who was in his mid-50s that after he started doing this, called me and said, Janet, Thank you so much for giving me permission to cry. Nobody's ever told me that I could. Mm. And he said he sat in his chair in his living room and cried for four hours. He was like, I couldn't stop. Once I started and I had, he had done some of the journaling and he got, sorry, it makes me emotional thinking about him. No, it's okay. And he got some of his stuff out. Men are told that they they can't, right? Exactly. Don't be a crybaby. Be a man. Suck it up. Like, again, they're suppressing all of that in. And he was like, I cannot tell you how much better I felt. And I literally never once thought, I just need to sit and cry. And so whatever it is that you need to release, then start releasing it. And you can work through your entire life that way. And nobody has to know. Like, literally, nobody, you don't have to call anybody. You don't have to tell them. You can do all of that without ever having to involve anybody. And so that stigma, which is a very, very real thing, you can avoid feeling like you're risking that and be able to still start dealing with it. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, every person that I've worked with that has done this, every single one has been like, I can't tell you how much better I just physically feel 
because I'm not, I like, I didn't even realize that I was carrying that around and I just feel so much better. Yeah. And it's, I, again, I, I did not come up with this. This is brilliant researchers that figured all of this out. I'm just trying to communicate it to people. And it is amazing to me how impactful it can be to simply say, okay, here's this thing that happened to me. Now I'm going to release it physically out into the real world. Yeah. I had a therapist who had me write a timeline. So from where I am, so it's similar, I, from where I was at that time, all the way back to as far as I could remember, and we filled in all of these life events, right? Mm -hmm. And then she did something similar. She's like, which one is the hardest for you? Like, which Mm -hmm. one was the hardest for you to think about? And this was during our EMDR, right? And so she was the one I did EMDR with. And so we started like looking, like, feeling those memories while I was doing the EMDR. And, and like I said, unfortunately had to stop because of COVID and she never went back in person and the tapping does not work for me. I just, it, yeah, it doesn't work for her. It didn't work for me. Yeah. And she never went back in person. So I ended up breaking up with her. Um, <laughs> the reason I, which is so be, hard. Yeah. The reason I wanted to see her was the EMDR. And she also was very dismissive of my bipolar episodes because I'm on medication, they don't Uh, fit the diagnostic criteria. mm -hmm. And so she would tell me everybody has ups and downs. And I'm like, no. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I am. Oh yeah. I'm like, you can manage it with medication. And then what you're showing is a smaller version of what's actually happening. Cause the medication is helping that helping you function through that. Oh, well, exactly. Sorry, that just, so that that's whole, the reason that I broke up with out. <laughs> Yeah. Someday I'll find another person with EMDR. The only real big thing that I, that comes up is my mom that I have to process through, but there's so much I'd have to process through. Right. And so this mm-hmm. would take many, 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 many EMDR sessions, but eventually yes. I will find another person. Um, Cause right now I'm trying to get into PhD programs. So I don't know where I'll be. I know it's so exciting. I didn't get Congratulations. it. Thank you. I didn't get in this last round. Very disappointing, but I three strikes are out. That's my deal with myself. So I'm going to try again this round. And then if that doesn't work out another round, um, but I'm going for psychology, but social psychology, not, not, I can't, no, I can't, I I don't have, I have my my master's in, I have my master's in organizational psychology. And, um, it's funny. They are, they're like, you've got to come back and do your doctorate. I'm like, maybe when my kids are out, yeah, I would, I like, I loved going and getting my master's in it. It is fascinating. There's so much that you can do. Um, yes. but I, I applaud you for going and even thinking of getting a doctorate because it's a lot. Yes, but I want to be a professor and that opens so many doors if I have a doctorate. Yeah. If I oh, yeah. only if I, I I'm gonna have my master's at next month. If I only have my master's, you're very limited on where you can teach. And so yes. I want to have all of the doors open versus like sticking to basically community college, which I love. I went mm-hmm. to community college. Yeah. Um, I don't bash them. And a very few four-year universities will let you teach there. So I don't want to limit myself. That's the main reason. But um, anyways, I don't want to get into EMDR again, not knowing where I'll be, you know, because if I'm Uh, in the middle of processing and then I have to move, that's going to be very awkward. (laughs) So It's true. 
Yeah. So I'm waiting a little bit. Um, yeah. As we wrap up the podcast, you went over a lot of your story and a lot of your experiences. Um, how would you like to wrap this in a little bow? Like, what would you like to leave the inspired women audience with? This is the hardest question of the entire interview. <laughs> um, the thing that I like, I would like to leave them with is sort of a two-part. The first is I want everybody out there to know they're not alone. Mm. No matter what, you're not alone. And the younger you are, the more you feel that way, because it's hard to comprehend that other people could have gone through what you're going through. But I want everybody to know you really aren't alone. And to reach out to people because telling your story and talking about your story is what helps other people know that they're not alone. Right. And knowing that allows people to be like, okay, if they made it through, potentially I can as well. And then the second thing that I say all of the time is from Maya Angelou, which is now that we know better, we can do better. And so for me, now that I know better about how I can take care of my mental health more proactively, I can do it. I can do much better. There's a lot of things that we didn't know decades ago that we now know and we can include in our lives. And so I want people to know that if you learn something, don't be afraid to include that in your everyday life, because just because it wasn't the way it was when we were kids doesn't mean that it's not a good thing to do and to start. And that's the way that I try to live my life now. And I would love to have your listeners um, be able to learn from hopefully something that I said today and maybe incorporate it into their lives. Yes. And you, you shared so much. And I, I just, I love the transparency of people who come on and are so willing to just put yourself out there. Cause I agree. Stories are very powerful and sharing those. I have a lot of people who are like, why do you share so much about your personal life? And I'm like, because there are people out there who feel alone. They feel like mm -hmm. they're the only person going through this. You wouldn't imagine the amount of people who've gotten a bipolar diagnosis because I shared and they're like, oh, that I go through that. That's exactly what I'm going through. Right. And so it's so important for us to be able to share. And so I want to applaud you for being so transparent and sharing what you've went through. Thank you. Yeah. I always say stories are way more powerful than statistics because you can hear 50% of the population, but that means nothing to me. But when I yeah. hear one person talk, I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel seen. I feel heard. I feel like I'm not alone. Yes. Well, Janet, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much, Megan. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you for being a part of the Inspired Women audience. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating review. And don't forget to share this out with somebody who could use some inspiration today. Tag us at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. Have a great day.